All sailors who are present know that there's a whole bunch of stuff you have to do as a sailor, things you have to get right. You really need to pay attention to the tides and currents, especially up in the San Juans. You need to chart your course. You need to read the weather. You need to set the sails. But here's the key. Without the wind, nothing happens. Without the wind, absolutely nothing happens. Again, all kinds of stuff the sailor has to do, or the crew has to do, but without the wind, zero movement by the sailboat. And here's the connection, the reason I'm sharing this story, the connection I want to make with uh, our text today and my message today. Um, the connection, comparison between the sailing reality and our Christian life, our life of discipleship. When it comes to our relationship with God and the life that God calls us to, there are definitely things we do. Think the imperatives of the New Testament. There are definitely things we do, but without God, nothing happens. I want you to just kind of hold that in your mind. There are things we are called to do absolutely clear in Scripture. But without the work of God, without the Spirit of God, nothing happens. It's God who brings life. It's the wind of the Spirit, so to speak, that moves us along. Some examples. Jesus said to those first disciples, follow me. In other words, that's something they had to choose to do. Follow me and I will make you fishers of people. That's the work of God. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And what? I will give you rest, the work of God. Jesus said, ask what we do, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. The passive voice in those actions indicates the work of another. The door will be opened to us as we knock. And then a verse that's found both Old Testament and New Testament. Call on the name of the Lord. That's something we do. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's the work of God. Now, just to be, like, super abundantly clear, I'm not saying that our relationship with God is a 50-50 kind of thing. We do our part, and God does his part. Kind of like a, a salvation potluck. We bring something, God brings something, and together we have a meal. I'm not saying that. I am saying that Scripture speaks with one voice. We ask, seek, knock, pray, turn toward. It's all stuff we do. But then it's God who acts, who saves, who blesses, and who receives all glory. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 put it this way. It's just a, an example of the point I'm trying to make here. 
Paul wrote, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So that neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. The sailor sets the sail, the sail, the wind, and only the wind propels the sailboat. So now, this is all my big setup to look at our, our text from 1 Peter chapter 5. In these verses, there are several things that Peter calls his readers, and probably listeners, because remember, this letter went out and was circulated among a a collection of churches and probably read out loud. Um, But Peter calls his readers, his hearers, to do certain things, and then several things that he promises God will do. So in verse 6, we're told to humble ourselves. To humble ourselves. The English word humble derives from a Latin word that means earth or earthy. Uh, gardeners may be familiar with, familiar with uh, humus, I think is how it's pronounced. Um, of the earth. In other words, it's low level. It's near the ground. It's the opposite of being high and lifted up. We are to humble ourselves. And I love the consistency here with the life and the teaching of Jesus. Jesus said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In John's Gospel, we're given the example of Jesus kneeling, taking a basin, and washing the disciples' feet. It's low. It's down near the earth. Jesus said once, if, if you are invited to a banquet, take the worst seat in the house, not the best. Philippians chapter 2, Christ emptied himself, taking the form of what? A servant. And as a servant, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. The way of Jesus is the way of humility. This call to humility in our text and in the New Testament is something we do, not something that's done to us. I want to just make this really clear. This isn't condoning humiliating somebody. This is self-imposed demotion. This is us humbling Ourself, choosing to stoop, choosing to serve, choosing to take the low place as our Lord and Savior did. Humbling ourselves is choosing to be Christ-like. And it's something we do. But, the verse continues, <clears throat> so at the proper time, God may exalt you. Exaltation at the right time is something God does. And again, this is consistent with other parts of the New Testament. In Jesus' take the worst seat 
worst seat story. He continues, so that the host may come and say, friend, move up higher. Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him. The last will one day be first in God's economy. Followers of Jesus, Peter is teaching us here, followers of Jesus should choose the path of humility. Not low self-esteem, not humiliating others, but with full agency, to use a word that in my experience has become popular recently, with full agency, taking the low place. And God in his timing, and there's some mystery there, I fully acknowledge, God in his timing will raise us up. We do the humbling, God does the exalting. By the way, as as kind of a footnote, let me just add here, this, this path of humility is our calling as disciples of Christ It's also totally winning from a human relations point of view to be humble, uh, to demonstrate humility. Humility is attractive, to put it sort of oddly. Humility is attractive. I remember when I started seminary back at Princeton Theological Seminary, uh, I lived in a a dorm, Alexander Hall, that had been built in 1815. And as a kid from California, like living in something that was built in 1815 seemed like really old and kind of cool. But there was a, uh, another first-year student who lived down the hall who I became friends with. His name was and is still Rob, Rob Langworthy. And really a, really a great guy. We used to play a lot of handball together, which is kind of like racquetball without a racket. Really a great workout. And uh, Rob was just an all-around terrific guy. Uh, he was famous for, uh, during midterms and finals, putting black paper up on his dorm windows so he couldn't see anything outside. It would just be like totally focused which I never did, but interesting. Anyway, uh, that first year in the spring, I saw Rob coming down the hall, and he was kind of spiffed up. Sport coat, tie, big humongous briefcase. And I said, uh, hey, what's, what's up? He said, well, I'm taking the train up to Connecticut. Yeah? Uh, I, yeah, I have to go up to New Haven, Connecticut. Why? Well, I have to defend my PhD thesis at Yale, earning a PhD in philosophy at Yale University. It turns out, and this is a totally cool story, Rob uh, was the number one. Uh, student in his class at what used to be called Claremont Men's College. I think now it's just Claremont College. Um, And with this academic accomplishment, had been given a full ride to Yale University to do a PhD in philosophy. 
I never would have known that. I never would have known that. Rob would never have said anything unless I had busted him in the hallway being all spiffed up and carrying a big briefcase. And I just love that about the guy. Humility. The rest of us are just out of college and first-year seminary students. Our fellow first-year student, oh, by the way, he has a PhD from Yale in philosophy that you'll never know about. Also, I see the lights here. Uh, I want to just, I, th I thought of you guys. Rob became a Christian in college by reading the four spiritual laws. Awesome, awesome testimony. Um, so, number one, we humble ourselves. Number two, verse seven, we cast our anxieties on him. That's what we do. Because he cares for us. God cares for us. That's what God does. And again, Jesus is our model here. Remember the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows his end is near. He knows he will soon be arrested, tried, and crucified. And I think it's not inappropriate at all to see in Jesus' prayer in the garden notes of anxiety. He literally asks his father if there's not another way to accomplish the same thing. But here's the key. He's asking his father. I'm positive he was anxious. Christ in his humanity was anxious, even frightened. But he's casting that care on God, crying out to God. That's what he did. And we too cast our anxieties on God. It's what we do. And God, he cares. It's what he does. And that care leads to the unfolding of God's plan for Jesus and for us. And it's a beautiful and terrible and fearful truth. But I think what is hardest in our life, what puts a knot in the pit of our stomach, what keeps us up at night with worry, the pain points of life are the most fertile ground for the work of God. What are you most anxious about in your life this morning? It's highly likely that that place, that point, will turn out to be center court for a fresh work of God's Spirit in your life. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that three times he pleaded with the Lord to remove his, what he refers to as his thorn in the flesh. And I, I hear echoes of Jesus in the garden. But Paul writes that the Lord said to him, no, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What God does when we acknowledge our anxieties and bring them to God in prayer, God, who cares for us, works 
like skinny little David with his slingshot, the living God can bring about great victories if we call out to him. And it's as if these, what we do, uh, what we do, plural, kind of build on each other. We humble ourselves, trusting that God in his timing will lift us up. In all humility, we cast our anxieties on God, trusting that he cares for us. And then third point, but there's a spiritual adversary who doesn't care about us at all. In fact, he wills our harm. Verses 8 and 9, we read, So be sober-minded, be watchful, for the devil prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I thought a great missing piece in contemporary preaching, at least in my experience, at least what I do, myself and what I hear, uh, is the whole future tense of the gospel, the hope and the reality of what's to come. In second place on my list of stuff missing, I'd put the clear New Testament teaching that we, that there is a spiritual adversary of the good and loving will of God goes by different names. I almost quoted the Rolling Stones song here. Uh, sympathy? Is it Sympathy for the Devil? Listen to that song again. I won't quote it. But we have a spiritual adversary. We need to be sober-minded, watchful, resisting him, firm in our faith. And again, I think we can look as disciples of Jesus, to Jesus himself in his ministry. And what do we see? Before his public ministry could start, he was led into the desert by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. In Matthew and in Luke, we read those stories. Paul, the apostle, in Ephesians 6, said that we are to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We have a spiritual adversary. We have a spiritual adversary. Yes, our own flesh betrays us. Yes, the world entices us. And yes, the devil, like a roaring lion, is on the prowl and is seeking someone to devour our parents in the faith knew this very much. Martin Luther in his hymn, and if I had been on the ball, I would have had us try to incorporate this. Sorry about that. Music people hate it when you use a musical piece in your message and didn't tell them because they can work it in. But it's my last Sunday, so what can you do to me, you know? But here's, listen to Luther. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, 
and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. Uh, Giving away what comes next, that little word is Jesus Christ. One little word shall fell him. Which leads us back to our passage, we are to be sober-minded, watchful, resistant to the devil, firm in our faith. That's what we need to do. And then verse 10, the God of all grace will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's what God does, and that is our hope and our strength. Amen. I think we have time for breakout groups, if I'm reading things correctly. Uh, If you're new to the church this morning, uh, we take uh, some time to get in like groups of five, four, five, six, uh, and just reflect together on anything from the service, the scripture reading, anything I might have said. But I would leave you, there's no are no questions in the bulletin, my bad, but let me just offer these two. What spoke to you from that First Peter passage? And then more specifically, of the three things we do, humble yourself, cast your anxieties on him, resist the devil, any one of those three, uh, you know, kind of ring a bell or catch your attention. Uh, so a more general, uh, general question, and then a more specific, any one of those three things we do. Uh, but let me pray, and then we'll, we'll break into groups for a few minutes, and I think it's Ian who will call us back together. Okay, let's join our hearts in prayer. Uh, Father, uh, as always, we thank you for your word, we thank you for your spirit, and we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who is with us here leading us, guiding us, teaching us. I pray that you, through your Spirit, would incorporate this teaching of 1 Peter chapter 5 into our lives and our real-life situations today. Give us insight and knowledge of your will for us in the specifics. Uh, Thank you for your promises that while there's lots that we do, ultimately it's what you do that makes the difference. Uh, We offer our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.